You can turn to Romans 3 if you wish. That's the portion I'll be preaching from. We're continuing our study in the Shorter Catechism, and we have come to the part of the Catechism, which is a very, a very pleasant part where we talk about the benefits that we have in Christ, benefits of, of salvation that we have in Him if we have been effectually called. You remember the effectual calling is the call that is responded to. When we're effectually called, it means that we answer the call. We, we respond to the call. We obey the call to come for salvation. We receive Christ as he has promised to us in the gospel. <clears throat> so what we're looking at when we look at the benefits that you have in Christ is that really what we have is those who have Jesus Christ to be saved. When you do that, you're given eternal life and you're given the promise of heaven. And we're going to look at the promise of heaven in, in future studies, but presently we're looking at the benefits that we have now in this life. So we often talk about having a, our affection set on the things above and on the promises of God, of heaven and, and whatnot. But uh, part of doing that is having our eyes on Christ who is in heaven now. We're seated with him in the heavenly places and we have benefits that come from him reigning at the right hand of the Father and from him having accomplished all the work that he was given to do for our salvation. Question 32, which we looked at last week, introduces us to the benefits that we have in this life. And there's a whole lot of them. So uh, let's, let's confess that question together. Question 32, I'll ask the question and then we'll respond together with the answer. What benefits do they that are effectually called partake of in this life? They that are effectually called do in this life partake of justification, adoption, and sanctification and the several benefits which in this life do either accompany or flow from them. In looking at this last week, we went to Colossians chapter 1, and then we briefly considered how that in this life, as soon as we believe, we begin to enjoy justification, adoption, and sanctification, and lots of other benefits. We saw how Paul and Timothy were full of thanksgiving to God for these wonderful benefits that they had learned that the Colossians had when, when they had received the gospel, they, they, the fruit that they had, and how Paul and Timothy prayed that these benefits would increase in them. And then we look briefly at what each benefit involves. But I told you at that time that in the weeks to come, that we would look at each of the benefits in more detail individually because the catechism presents each one of them to us in a separate question. A question about justification, and then one about adoption, then one about sanctification, and then one about the other benefits that are related to these. So this week, we're going to zero in on justification. So let's confess question 33 about justification. Question 33 asks simply, what is justification? 
Justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardoneth all our sins and accepteth us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Now let me explain a few things about this answer. First, the word justify essentially means to accept us as righteous, as those who are what we ought to be before God. God accepts us that way when he justifies us. Second, that it is an act means that it is done all at once. Okay, a factual calling was called a work because God convicts us of sin over time, bringing us to that place where a factual calling actually reaches its completion. And we understand what God has done for us and our need of Christ and his sufficiency over time, again, until it reaches a, a, a point where we actually come to believe. But justification is something that is done all at once. When we are justified, there's a moment when we're not justified. And then when we believe in a saving way, we are justified prior to that. Third, that it is an act of free grace means that it is a gift that we don't earn or pay for ourselves in any way. It's a free grace. Fourth, that we are accepted as righteous means that God accepts us as those who meet all that is required of anyone permitted to live with him in paradise. We meet all that's required. How can that be that God would accept us as righteous? Fifth, that Christ's righteousness is imputed to us means that it is credited to us. That what he did, what Christ did, is looked at as if we had done it ourselves. Both his death and his life, the virtue of his life, are imputed to us. The righteousness of those is imputed or credited to us, put on our account. Sixth, that it is received by faith means that the way we get Christ's righteousness imputed to us is by depending on him to give it to us, by believing the promise concerning righteousness through Jesus Christ. For our scripture reading then related to this, I've chosen Romans 3, 19 through 31. Now we read in Romans 3 before when we were looking at what the catechism said about our sin. And now we're reading it to look at what it says about our justification. So Romans 3, 19 through 31, it picks up where Paul has just laid out how that there's none righteous, no, not one, that we're all sinners. And we're picking up right in the middle of his discussion about that or at the end of it, the conclusion of it. Romans 3, 19, he says, we know, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. 
But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference for all who sin and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. And there we end the reading of God's holy word. May the Lord bless to us the hearing of his holy and infallible word. I mentioned to you a moment ago that the word justify or justification means to accept someone as righteous. We need to understand that the words righteous, righteousness, just, justify, and justification are all related to each other and all have to do with being counted esteemed, regarded as righteous. Okay, so when you are justified, it means that you are righteous or right in the sight of one who has authority. You are acceptable according to the law of the one who judges those who keep or do not keep the law. You're esteemed or counted as someone who is right according to the law. Now I'd like to begin by pointing out to you that you all very much like to be justified. It is something that everyone desires. It means that you're counted as acceptable in the eyes of others. It means that people say that you're okay. People check you out and they say... He's okay. You know, he's okay. Think about how important this is to you in everyday life. Children, you want your parents to be pleased with you. Of course, all of you are children, aren't you? You have parents. And you know what that's like, how important it is. You want them to be pleased with you, to say that you're okay. You know, that you're right. It's very unpleasant for them to be bummed out with you and always seem like they're disappointed with you, frustrated with you. Honestly, they're often not as disappointed probably as you think they are, but it it seems like it's such a big deal, you know, and they're disappointed with, with everything. How good it is when your dad says to you, I'm so glad that you are my daughter. (laughs) 
or I am so glad that you are my son. And did you know that your parents also want you to be pleased with them? A lot of children don't realize that. It's very grievous to parents when their children say, oh, my parents. And they talk about that, talk to their friends about all the problems their parents have and all the things that they do. They love for you to look at your parents and say, well, I have the best mom in the world. You know, she, she cares about us. She really cares about us. And to talk about the things that she does. Or I'm so glad that they say to their father, I'm so glad that you're my dad and the way that you care for us and look after us. People want that. People want that from their lovers too. Girl wants the guy to think she's beautiful, that she's fun to be around, that she's a great person to be with. Guys want girls to admire them, to respect them, to think the world of them even. Husbands want acceptance from their wives and wives from their husbands. It's painful to be rejected and a lot of rejection that is exchanged as a result of feeling rejected. In other words, because somebody is rejecting me, then I reject them and we go back and forth and get into the, the battle. You want to be thought righteous or acceptable in all sorts of other relationships as well. Among a group of friends. I mean, what people will do for acceptance among their friends. They will do things that are harmful to themselves to gain acceptance. And if you try out for a ball team or for a part in a play or a choir, to be in a choir, you want them to say, oh, yeah, this is someone I want on my team. This is someone I want to sing in our choir. If you apply for a job, of course, you want them to accept you, to think that you would be someone that would do good work. And then after you start working, you want your work to be acceptable. You want them to be pleased with you. When I build furniture and I pour myself out in building a piece of furniture, I want it to be acceptable to the person that I build it for. Really, this idea of being justified reaches into all of life. It's so important to us, and that's what I began saying, that it's something that's important to all of us. It's so important to us that when we're not accepted, then we react to that. Sometimes you might react by trying to become accepted, by trying to become justified. You'll work very hard to earn your acceptance. In the movie Chariots of Fire, I don't know how many of you have seen that. It's a good movie. Harold Abrams is getting ready to run for the gold medal in the Olympics. And he says, it's just a short race, as you can tell from this quote. He says, I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide and ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. And that movie portrays him justifying his whole existence in winning that gold medal. And then when he wins the gold medal, then there's an emptiness. Like him, you'll find something that you're really good at if you try to justify yourself in this way. You'll try to prove yourself to everyone. And even if you reach your goal, a lot of people say that, I think it's even said in that movie, that that winning is a very hard thing. Because then what? You You spent your whole life trying to win, and now you got your gold medal What now? Some people will boast about what they have done 
to try to gain acceptance. And, you know, in other words, they try to gain acceptance by boasting about all their accomplishments. We had a guy at school like that. To my, to my shame, we abused him terribly. He came from another place, and we didn't like that he came from another place and then told us about how much better it was where he lived before and about all the things that he did. So everybody just dumped on this guy who was desperately trying to make himself acceptable by his boasting, and it made him less acceptable in our eyes, and he became more and more frustrated. You might do things that cost a lot to gain acceptance. A young woman might give up her chastity in an effort to gain acceptance. A middle-aged man might go into debt in order to buy something that will make him look cool and that will, he thinks, gain him acceptance in the world. And if trying to be accepted does not work, then people sometimes get angry at those who reject them. You might yell at your parents or your siblings and accuse them of being unreasonable and of being unloving. In other words, the problem is not with me, it's with you and your standards. Or you yell at your children for not appreciating you and you manipulate them. The parent says, I've done this and this and this for you and you don't love me, you don't care about me and they go on like that. How can you treat me this way when I've done this? You might turn against the church or a group of people at work might start a a hate campaign on social media about how somebody did this to you. You see people that are passionate for that. Like they're looking for excuses for to be justified. Like I've been so mistreated. And so that's the reason that I nobody can get along with me. The reason that I I'm so uh, unable to work. I'm unable to do the things I ought to do. It, It becomes an excuse. And of course, then Others that don't have all that fight in them, they just become sullen and discouraged and depressed. You might engage in antisocial or violent behavior in that mode so that you give people good reasons to reject you since they're going to do it anyway. In other words, you're, you're in despair, so you're just going to go out and, and be a, a very arrogant, difficult person everywhere you go and to harm people and, uh, because you hate everyone and you don't care whether they hate you or not because you're, you despair of people caring about you. You might just draw into a shell in another, another way and, and just try to avoid everyone and haul up somewhere and not be engaged because whenever I go out, you know, I always do something wrong and everything goes wrong and you don't want to ever, ever go out in the world. You might turn to drugs or entertainment or pornography or drunkenness or whatever it is trying to escape. But you do all of this because you want to be justified. You want people to think well of you. And those reactions are things that you do that, that maybe make it worse, that you're less acceptable to people. But you do it because of your frustration that you're not acceptable to people. But you know more than anything, and this is what fixes this for us really in our whole person, we need to be justified by God. That's where we have the real root of the problem is with our Creator. Even if the whole world thinks well of us, 
and we're elevated and we become, you know, like the superstar that everybody wants to be like and they all admire the movie star or something like that. They think, oh, wow, you know, that person's got everything together. They're just, oh, I wish I could be like them. What happens to those? They become frustrated because they're still not made right with God. And it's interesting because there are a few people that reach that kind of height and admiration that are justified in the eyes of God. And when they do, then it's not so hard for them to be in that place because they have a foundation of being justified by God. The problem is that we are not righteous in God's sight, though. And He is God. Long ago, He declared that we human beings, every one of us, are not acceptable in his eyes he declared that we were not fit to live with him in the garden of eden that he made for us and he kicked us out forever and he changed the world he brought a curse on it because we the human race are unrighteous the whole human race was declared unfit for communion with god god has a common sense law, a just law that he gave us when he created us, and we didn't even keep it. He required of us that we would love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. Pretty reasonable law, wouldn't you say? And he also gave us a rule to show, or or a law to show that we respected him and honored him as our God, that we should not eat of one tree of all the trees that he gave us. He is our benevolent creator who gave us all that we have and who is worthy of all praise and honor. And he ought to be loved. And as fellow creatures, we certainly ought to love each other using all of the wonderful gifts that God has given us to be a blessing to each other. But instead of loving God, we rejected him as our God. And so he put us out of the garden. Instead of being justified, instead of being acceptable in his sight, we were condemned and we were declared not righteous, but guilty and unacceptable. We were rejected. It tells us this in Romans 3.19 that we, we read a moment ago, where it says that the law was given that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. The law given by Moses showed Israel that they couldn't approach God because they were guilty. Now, I want you to think about that. The purpose of the law was not, God didn't give it to Israel to show them how to be justified or that they were justified, but he showed it, he gave it to them to show them that they were not justified. In other words, if someone looks at the law, the law of God, and they say, okay, I keep all those laws and then I'll be right with God. Well, I guess that's kind of true theoretically in a certain way. But, but when you look at the law of God and you understand it, the fact comes out that you don't keep it. It exposes you, is what Paul is saying. It doesn't justify you. No one is justified by the law because we're fallen sinners. Even to come to God, the way the law was presented in the law of Moses, 
that even to come to God in ritual worship, they had to offer all kinds of sacrifices to wash away, to cleanse them from their sin. And they were God's people that had to do that. They were the people that God had chosen out of all the world to be His people. And they could not come to God without all kinds of ritual cleansings, just even to come in a ritual way, much less than a, to truly come before Him. You know, it, it was a big deal. And, and how much does that show then, if they were not justified by the law, if they were guilty, that everyone else in the world is guilty? what Paul is saying there in Romans. Verse 20 sums it up. By the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. It exposes the problem the law does. When we see what God requires of us, it only makes it clear that we're not acceptable in his sight. As verse 23 says, there is no difference in people. Because why? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us have lived in accordance with our glorious God as human beings ought to live. Not in an unreasonable way that we ought to live, but just in a, just in a reasonable way that we ought to live in God's sight. We have not. Rejection by God is a very serious matter. We can never be happy without God and His acceptance. We were made in His image, We were made to be totally dependent on Him and to be torn away from Him because of our rebellion and rejected by Him destroys us. There is an emptiness in us that can never be filled by anything else but by becoming righteous. And besides that, He has sentenced us to the punishment that we all deserve. There is the curse in the earth. Now you think that's bad. I mean, we were all kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Now we face sickness and sorrows, famines, storms, attacks, hostility. Just read the news and you can see the results. And we are sentenced to die and then to be judged and sentenced to eternal punishment. Again, as verse 20 says, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. If you have to keep the law, or if you have to make atonement for your own sin that you've already committed, it's not going to happen. You can't do it. Not one of us has what it takes to be justified in the sight of God. Our reaction to this reality has not been helpful. Similar to the reactions I talked about before, right? Often we try to prove to God that we're okay. Try to prove that we're acceptable. We boast about what we have done. And we get around other people who will help us boast. People that will flatter us. And we, you know, sometimes we we say the people that we like, you know, oh, that's really a good person. And the reason we think they're good is because they say good things about us. Somebody says bad things about, oh, that's not a very good person over there. Because they don't say good things about me. There are even preachers, sadly many preachers, who will flatter people instead of telling them the truth about what God says about them. They want to say, you know, like the motto back in the 70s, you know, I'm okay, you're okay, you know, that, that kind of thing. They, they want to promote that sort of thing. And uh, I remember, uh, remember Robert Shuler back then, you know, saying uh, he, he was one of the ones that really promoted this kind of thing that, 
oh, I don't want to say anything to discourage people, to make them feel bad about themselves. That's the, that's, and that's become prevalent all across in the, in the church today. And it's the opposite of the message that we need to proclaim. Or we will do religion to justify ourselves. You know, this is where maybe you go to some, some high church or something and you do, you do penance by which you can pay for your sins, shedding tears, you know, uh, maybe beating yourself up. People will do other things like, you know, cutting themselves or, or whipping themselves or doing lots and lots of prayers and things, whatever it is. Or they'll engage in some good cause, you know, get involved in some good cause that, you know, we're going to save the world or we're going to end poverty or whatever it is. But the problem is that we're still sinful people. A lot of the extremists that you see today fighting for social issues or for saving the world from global warming or whatever it is, are doing so because they're guilty people. And this is a way that they can try to justify themselves. Look at me. I'm involved in all of these important causes to, to save the world and to help people. And then they go and they curse the people that are around them in their home. And you see, so often we, we, we want to be involved in some great corporate scheme that we're going to bring some kind of deliverance or some kind of cause. And, and we talk about it and we feel that we're, we're, we're righteous because we're doing these things. And that's why people become so, so passionate about these things that they become extreme and unreasonable because there, there's more going on than just the cause. They aren't really that concerned about the cause. But the cause becomes their way of putting themselves forward as someone who, who is righteous, someone who cares, someone who's doing something about the problem. And another funny thing is a lot of times they don't really do anything but go and talk about it. You know, say, oh, how much money have you donated to this cause? Oh, uh, well, uh, I, I'm just making everyone aware of the cause because you know, then they will donate to the cause. And my job is, is to go and make everyone aware. You know what I'm talking about. And if you realize how much we're failing in our efforts to justify ourselves, then when we realize that, then sometimes we turn against God and try to blame Him. As if God were guilty of us not measuring up to His standard. He's too, got too hard of a standard. We blame Him for making us in a way by which we could fall. For why did God let us be tempted in the garden in the first place? You know, that kind of thing. When he could have stopped it. Or we say that he's not fair. That his requirements are too high. We may even say that God is evil. That he's a bully for judging sinners. And very often we will rebel against him on purpose in an effort to try to hurt him and get back at him for not accepting us. I want you to think about that. If you have a sin or or various sins that you gravitate to a lot, is it not often that you are actually doing that because you want to do something against God deliberately? Like there's almost a drive. Sometimes when people have addictions and things like that, there's a drive to those things because we're unhappy with God, and that he doesn't accept us. Like a teenager who's so angry with his parents that he does things just to annoy them. 
things. It's not that he wants to do those things so much, but he wants to annoy his parents. And that's why he does those things. We do that before God. None of our reactions changes the fact that we're unacceptable in God's sight. It really just makes it all the more clear. All the world, Paul says, is guilty before his eyes. And there is nothing that we can do to change that. God is righteous. He is right. We are ungodly. And there is nothing that we can do about it. By the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. It's horrible, but it's true. But I have some very, very good news to declare that God justifies the ungodly. God justifies people that are unrighteous and that cannot justify themselves. If God does it, then that's a marvelous thing. As amazing as it may seem, He changes His verdict about us from guilty to not just not guilty, but to righteous in His sight. Instead of saying that we are guilty, He declares that we are righteous. Romans 4, 5 actually says, and this, is, this seems absurd, that he justifies the ungodly. God justifies, in other words, God says that ungodly people are righteous. He says what's not true in a certain way on the face of it. We're not righteous, and he says that we are when he justifies us. He accepts us as righteous in his eyes. Romans 3.24 says that we being sinners are justified freely by His grace. By saying that it's freely by His grace, it means it's not on account of anything that, that we have done. It's not that I do some great deed or that I become something great or even that God changes me into something great. No, it's not based on what I am. It's free acceptance by His grace is righteous. Even though God promises that he will change those he justifies so that they will in time become pure and holy when they see him, that they will be like him, they'll see him as he is. They've been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. No no matter how much he might change us, we can never be righteous enough to make up for the wrong that we've already done in rejecting God. We could never satisfy the debt that we incurred We could never be punished enough to clear the record of all of our offenses, the great sins that we have committed because we've committed them against God. That's why they're so great, who they're against. Never could we do that. So it is by God's grace that we're justified. It's freely by grace and not by anything done in us or even done by God in us. So how does he do it? How can he be just? And justify the ungodly so as to say that we are righteous and acceptable when we're not. For him to do so would seem to be a case of a judge doing what no judge should ever do. To declare someone who committed a very heinous crime to be innocent. 
And in addition to that, to even say that we have lived in such a way as to prove ourselves worthy of entering the kingdom of glory when we have not lived in such a way. Indeed, though, that is actually what God does. Except that God has found a way to truly justify us, to truly make us acceptable in his sight. So that we actually are acceptable in his sight. What has he done? Well, he justifies us by joining us to his son, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus is totally righteous from all eternity. He is God the Son. He became flesh, became a human being, and as a human being, he remained totally righteous in this sinful world, meeting all that God requires. Even though he had all kinds of trials and temptations in this world, he never sinned, not even once. He remained totally acceptable to God and proved himself to be completely worthy of heavenly joy. Okay, Jesus was completely worthy. And God joined him to his elect people. Yes, God took all of his people both before and after Jesus came. And he reunited us as one with Jesus Christ, his only son. And Jesus is so righteous that once we are joined to him, we are made perfectly righteous. It is a righteousness by association with Jesus as our legal federal head and representative. You might think of us like a company of criminals or a kingdom of criminals. And there is a huge list of crimes that we have committed. A whole list is drawn up against us. And at the top of the list is the great crime of treason against our king, against our God. All of the other sins grow out of that. And so we are justly sentenced to die and to go to hell forever. But then the righteous son of God comes and joins himself to this guilty, wretched company of criminals. And when he does this voluntarily, he shares in the guilt He is the leader of that wretched, guilty company of criminals. He shares in all of their guilt so that legally as one of us, the guilt is his as well as ours. But to him, that guilt is completely unacceptable. It's not that he becomes ungodly. As the son of God, he has what it takes to stand in the midst of all that ungodliness, and to atone for all of that ungodliness, to pay the penalty for all of that ungodliness. As our voluntary head, he takes responsibility for all of it. And he says, punish me for what they have done. He pays the fine, which for all of us was eternal punishment in hell. He suffers the pains of hell as the Son of God and pays the price to release us all. Because He is the Son of God, He has enough righteousness for all of us so that together, Him now joined to us, we are made righteous. 
So that the Bible can say that in Adam all die, in Christ all are made alive. The life of King Jesus was enough to make us righteous, and the death of King Jesus was enough to atone for all of our sins. God looks at him and us together, joined together, and he says, they are perfectly acceptable in my sight. Without Jesus and without Jesus crucified, we would not be acceptable. But in him and with him crucified, we are completely acceptable. To explain it mathematically, you might say that we have a a million dollars you might say that we, we had to have, we were required to have a million dollars of righteousness. But instead, we have a $10 million debt. Okay, so to be acceptable to God, we needed to have this, this righteousness. We don't have it. Instead, we have a debt. And then Jesus comes along, and he has the righteousness, and then he goes to the cross to pay the debt. And then the Lord says, this meets all that I require of these people. They are lovely in my sight. They have done all that I require of them, not only in life, but also in paying the penalty of the sins that they had previously committed. They are acceptable to me because full payment has been made. By raising Jesus from the dead, he showed that we were justified. He accepted his sacrifice for us. As Romans 4.25 says, Jesus was delivered up on the cross because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. God accepted it. He accepted the payment. So he was raised because we were justified by that. In Romans 5.18, though through one man's sin, righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Now, the passage that we read in Romans 3 also explains this. Please look there again. After saying that no one can be justified by keeping the law in Romans 3.20, we're told that God has a new way of righteousness for us. God's righteousness. And it is through faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Why is it apart from the law? It's apart from our personal keeping of the law. It's witnessed by the law and the prophets. So the law and the prophets told us about it. Even the righteousness of God, okay, the righteousness that God requires through faith in Jesus Christ. So it's through our trusting in Jesus Christ. And it's to all and on all who believe. Everyone that believes, everyone that trusts in him obtains righteousness in the eyes of God. This is righteousness for every single person who believes. Now, what would ever keep anyone from believing? All I could say was pride. I mean, we don't want to depend on someone else for our right. We want to do it ourselves. I can't think of anything else that would keep someone when there's a provision made and God says, I have accepted this provision. Why would anyone not come to embrace that? Hatred of God, pride. Uh, whatever. This righteousness is for every single person who believes. God does not bar anyone and say, you cannot believe. Okay, the, the end of verse 22 and verse 23, they say, for there is no difference. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all justified the same way because we're all guilty. Verse 24 explains how it is done through Jesus Christ. Being justified, being accepted as righteous freely by His grace. Why is it freely? Because it's not what we did. It's what He did who joined Himself to us. Freely by His grace through the redemption that somebody else did. The redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood. Now, we've talked about propitiation before. It's a big word. Do you remember what it means? Just think of propitiation as simply that which appeases the displeasure of God, the wrath of God. God is angry, and when He's propitiated, something's done to turn His anger away. Okay, so it's something that turns away God's wrath against sin. It is by redemption, it says, through the blood of Jesus that propitiation is made. That is just what we saw. We did the sin. Jesus, who had no sin himself, takes the punishment of all of our sin. His suffering and death was sufficient to pay for all our sin. And so now in him, we're completely justified. Completely. Completely acceptable before God. You can't be any more justified than you are. If you're justified by Jesus, there's no guilt. There's no condemnation to who? To those who are in Christ Jesus. Every kind of condemnation, those that are not in Christ Jesus. That's the only place you have. Someone's paid the price. There's total forgiveness and total righteousness. But how does God join us to him? How do we become, how do we get this this righteousness credited to us and imputed to us. Well, that's what we saw a few weeks ago. He works faith in us, in our effectual calling. The Holy Spirit works in us so that we see our need. And I mean, you really see your need. It's not that you kind of think you need. You see that I cannot save myself. I just, I, there's no way that I can make myself acceptable to God. I can never be acceptable to God. And, and you see, until you despair of that, you're still trying you know, you're still, you're still trying to make it happen. You can't. So the Holy Spirit shows you your need. And he shows you how much you need Jesus and how suitable and complete what he did is to bring about that salvation, that justification. We see that we're desperately guilty and we see that Jesus has what it takes to take away our sins. And we trust in him. To be justified. As it says at the end of Romans 3.26, God is the justifier of which one? Of the one who has faith in Jesus. Not the one who's still on his own. The one who has faith in Jesus. With Jesus, we truly do meet all the requirements to be acceptable before God, even though we are sinners. God is seen to be perfectly righteous and just and justifying us because he doesn't just ignore our sin. God doesn't pretend like the sin is not there. He doesn't lie about the sin. No, he brings his son to meet the requirements and to pay the penalty of that sin. 
there is no setting aside of what is required by God. Do you see that? It's Jesus is there to make perfect satisfaction for all that is required of us. So therefore, you see, the law is not set apart, set aside. Rather, the law is upheld. And so we conclude, as it says in verse 28, that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Deeds of the law that I do. Justified by faith in what Christ did instead of depending on what I have done, which is works. The only way that anyone can be justified then is by trusting in Jesus. So are you justified? Are you counted acceptable in the eyes of a holy God? Are you trusting in the only one who can make you acceptable in his eyes? If you're not, then I have only one thing to say to you. It's high time that you did. Why not? If you have been justified, just think what this means for you. It means that you're no longer rejected. It doesn't matter what other people think of you anymore because now you're acceptable in the eyes of God Almighty. The world and the devil may condemn you, but there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What the law could not do, God has done by sending his son Jesus. This is complete, there is complete pardon and there is complete acceptance. So you don't have to go around with a load of guilt. You're justified by Jesus Christ. But don't misunderstand this the way many professing Christians do today. This is so distressing. This, what we're talking about, is not, it is not to say that God sees how good you are, even though other people don't. So it doesn't matter what other people say about you, because God sees how good you really are. That is preached today, and it is a lie. It is a deception. No, no, no. This is saying that God has justified you even though you are guilty and completely unworthy. And that since he has justified you, therefore, by Jesus Christ, therefore no one can condemn you. Not no one can condemn you because you're good. You're not good. But no one can condemn you because you're trusting in Jesus Christ and he is the righteous Savior who has met all that is required of sinners. It is the opposite message when it is said that we're good. Ultimately, you will never be rejected because God himself has accepted you through his Son. But that's not all that being justified means for you. Okay, so going back to that point, like the, 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 the main point is that we are acceptable in the eyes of God. It means that you're no longer rejected. Okay, but being accepted by God or justified also means that God will be with you to bless you forever and ever. You know, the only reason that we have all the trouble in the world and all the curse and all those things is because we're not right with God. When we're right with God, he's committed to bless us forever. Okay, forever and ever. And I want you to know that he is very good at blessing people. 
He is our creator. And he knows perfectly well how to make us eternally happy. You can surely see that even if you had unlimited power and wealth and could do whatever you wanted, you wouldn't be able to make yourself happy forever. (laughs) Do you think you could? (laughs) You wouldn't know what to do. You wouldn't know what to do to make you eternally happy. But God knows. He knows exactly how to go about that. And do you know what is the greatest blessing of all? Is for all of those, what the greatest blessing is for all those who are justified in Jesus Christ? It is this. It is to live forever in the presence of this great, majestic, holy, righteous, loving God who is so gracious that even while we were yet sinners, he sent Christ to die for us. It is to live with him perfectly acceptable in his sight. He loves you so well, and when he blesses you, he will teach you to love him back. That's what he's doing now. He's teaching us to love him back the way we should. If you're justified, he has already begun to change you, and he will bring you to perfection. And you will get to keep on enjoying him and discovering his glory forever and ever. But at the heart of that discovery of who God is will be the remembrance of the cross of Jesus Christ, where God, the Son, became a propitiation for our guilty selves, for our sins. You will grow to understand God more and more through the righteousness and wisdom and love and power and grace and mercy and holiness that was demonstrated at the cross of Christ. It is God himself and our acceptance with him that will make us glad and happy forever and ever. But understand, you are already justified if you have faith in Jesus. And the process of God sanctifying us while we're in this world requires that we endure hardship and trials and troubles and testing and affliction and all kinds of things as God works through all of those things to prepare us for the glory that he has for us forever. But you're justified already if you have faith in Jesus. So you're able to start taking delight in our gracious God who justifies the ungodly. You're able to do that even now in this life. Justification is a benefit that we have in this life. Please stand and let's give thanks to our Lord. Lord, our God, merciful, gracious Father in heaven, we praise you, O Lord, that by Jesus Christ, your Son, whom you sent to be a propitiation for our sins, that we have been made righteous in your sight by faith in him, that we who are ungodly are justified in your sight. We are declared to be righteous. We who are sinners are declared to be righteous because by Jesus Christ, by union with him, he represents us and he has paid for our sins and he has fulfilled all that your law requires for a person to be accepted in your sight. And Father, we thank you 
And we thank you that you will not leave us with this gap where we are declared something that we are not, but that you will shore up that gap, that your work in us will transform us and change us so that at the last day, when everything is restored, then we will be perfectly righteous. We will be then all that, so that if we were judged in that day, we would be acceptable in your sight. Father, now we're acceptable in your sight because we're judged as those who are in union with Christ. And truly, that will always be the case because of our record, because of our sins that we have committed in the past. We'll always have to have the atonement of Jesus. But if we were judged when we get to glory on the basis of what we have done only there, then we would be righteous in your sight and acceptable in your sight. We praise you, O Lord, for the blessing that you have given us, for the promise and the hope that we have. And I pray, Lord, that knowing that we are accepted in your sight would spur us along with great desire to know you better, to serve you better, to love you better, to serve our neighbors better. Father, to bring glory and honor to you in this world and to share that salvation, to declare it and proclaim it to the people around us. And oh, Father, we pray that you would put down the lies that teach that we're acceptable without Jesus Christ, that even teach that in the church, that we are good and acceptable in your sight when we're nothing of the kind. Oh, Father, may Christ be exalted and not flesh. No flesh can glory in your presence. We glory in the cross of Christ. We glory in Christ crucified. Oh, Lord, help us to be clear about this and to be able to refute the error that has become so prevalent in the church that a person can be righteous by rituals or that a person can be righteous by joining some cause or that a person is just righteous anyway or doesn't need to be justified. Oh, Father, help us, Lord, to make this message known. It's not a popular message because people want to pretend that in their pride that they are good. And the only reason that we can ever come to confess that we are not good and that we need Christ is because of your effectual calling. Lord, it's not in us to be convinced of our sin and misery. It's not in us to, be, uh, to see the, the, the virtue in the, of Christ and the need that we have of Him and that only He can save. It's not in us, Lord, to turn to You, to turn to Christ for that righteousness and faith. Father, we're so stubborn and pig-headed and, and, and proud that we will not come. But Father, we pray for Your the divine working of your spirit to turn on the lights clearly that those who do not see may see and that those who do not hear may hear. And Father, that faith may ensue. Oh, Father, we pray that you would grant this blessed gift of working faith in us, that we would see it in our children and our children's children and their children after them. And that we would see this faith in the people that we testify of our hope to, even our enemies. Father, that they might come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that you might be glorified in their salvation. 
Give us boldness to preach this message. We remember how the Apostle Paul said that he was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it was the righteousness of God to those who believe. Father, we pray, help us, Lord, to delight in this message. We remember what the reformer Martin Luther said, that the the church stands or falls on the basis of what it does with this doctrine of justification. And it is true. If we do not know how to be made right with you, then there is no hope for us as a church. Oh, Father, restore the truth of your word in your church, the truth of justification. We pray, Lord, that you would burn to ashes those churches that refuse to proclaim the doctrine of true justification by faith, that you would rid the world of them, Lord, in order that the word of God might go forth with truth and with clarity and power. Oh, Father, we look to you. Our eyes are on you. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Receive the blessing of God. Now may the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? That power that saves us from our sins. The grace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.